Well, I don't want to uh, take too much time, so I want you to come with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we're doing a series called Dumb and Dumber, a new series on wisdom. And uh, how many people are just, you know, by way, show of hands, are going through a chapter a day of Proverbs? What, what chapter was it today? Very good. Just trick question just to see. Oh, oh, what's the day? It's chapter nine today. So try and do one a day, one chapter a day. And I promise you, you're going to find that something's deposited. You may not always understand what you read. But don't ever, don't ever not read the Bible because you don't understand what you're reading. Because the Bible's not a book. The Bible's not a book like it's an ordinary book, like you just read a book. I remember when I first got saved, I was talking to one of my buddies. He goes, yeah, yeah, I read the Bible. Yeah, great book. And I think, yeah, you don't get it. You actually don't just read the Bible like, I read Moby Dick. What a great story. Giant whale. <laughs> no, that's not the Bible. The, the Bible, the Bible is, it claims to be alive and living. It's alive and living. And so when you read the Bible, it goes in, whether you realize it or not. And it goes into your spirit. And, and later on, you'll read something or you'll hear something and it'll trigger what was previously unknown. You ever look at the disciples, how, how many times the disciples, after something happened, the Bible says, and they realize, oh my gosh, this is what Jesus meant when he said. Which means that they didn't get it till later on. When, when he spoke it, they're just like, yeah, I ain't, you ask. I'm not asking him. Oh, we don't know what you're Most of the time, they had no idea what Jesus was saying, but afterwards. And the devil wants you to believe that, well, because you're not getting anything out of it, perception-wise, that, you know, maybe, maybe don't read it, maybe it's not for you, but read it. Just make a discipline of reading it because you'll be surprised what goes in. You'd be surprised what goes in. So anyway, uh, so we're doing that. So let me just really quickly talk to you about wisdom. A couple of quick things. The first thing, that I kind of came up with a bit of a definition for wisdom. To me, wisdom is seeing after before. The definition for me of wisdom is the ability to see after before. Wisdom gives you the ability to look at a person to look at a potential spouse, to look at a potential business deal, to look at a situation, a decision that you're facing, and, and the spirit of wisdom will come to you and it'll help you to see after before you make the decision. How many people have ever heard the saying, you know, hindsight is 2020? Well, you know, after we made the decision, we lost that money, and oh my gosh, I should have realized that God was, you know, just, you know, he was a wanted felon. I shouldn't have given him all my savings. Oh my, what was I thinking? And uh, he was just, you know, he had the, the coolest tie, and I just thought, you know, he's. And so, so afterwards, afterwards, we look back and we think, my God, the clues were there. Why couldn't I see it? Is because we weren't operating in wisdom. But wisdom has the ability to deliver you beforehand. Wisdom, when you apply wisdom in your life, it'll help you. It'll help you to make great choices and great decisions. Now, here's the deal. I found that every wise decision I have made has blessed and prospered my life. And I've found that every foolish decision I've made has cost me dearly. Anybody here ever made some dumb choices? Anybody here ever made some foolish decisions and it hurt you and it cost you? So, so God wants us to live in wisdom. So let me, let me, let me just kind of unpackage this. The second thing I wanted to say tonight is that what stands in between where you are now and the next level that God has for you, 
What is standing in between where you are right now and God's next level for you is wisdom. Wisdom is the key that God uses to unlock the greatness that's on the inside of you. Let me say that again. Wisdom is the key that God uses to unlock the greatness that's on the inside of you. Proverbs, I think it's 22.3 or 22.15. One of those two says uh, foolishness. I think it's 22.15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction drives it far from him. So here's the deal. None of us here were born with wisdom. None of us came into the world solving the Rubik's Cube. None of us were born chess masters. None of us were born with wisdom. In fact, if you read the book of Proverbs, like I'm hoping you are, you will have noticed in Proverbs chapter 1, it says, My son, give ear to my instruction. Incline your heart to understanding. In verse 20, it says, Listen to the voice, does not wisdom cry out? Chapter 2, verse 1, incline your ear. Chapter 3, verse 1, you know, open your heart. Chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1, chapter 8, verse 20, says to, to listen to the voice of wisdom. Wisdom is crying out. Chapter 9, wisdom has built her house. She has hooned out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has prepared her table. She calls it on the highest places. To you who are simple, come in here. Come and so she, she calls out. So wisdom, wisdom is out there. Wisdom is around us. It's calling. None of us are born with wisdom. We are born with foolishness. The Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So all of us are prone to make decisions based not on wisdom, but based on emotion. We are prone to make decisions based on emotion, based on impulse, based on our hormones. Man, you're making it hard for me tonight. My Lord. I can't tell you how many people got married because they wanted to have sex only to realize now that that's over, well, what do we do now? And, and Yahtzee turned into World War Three, And it's like, <laughs> how many people here have heard of an IQ? An IQ, it's, it's, your emo, it's your intelligence quotient. And, and so it's a series of tests and puzzles and, you know, basically, you know, kind of gives you a ranking on how clever you are, problem solving and, you know, mapping and everything else. But there's, over the last kind of two decades, they've also developed a, a kind of, psychology has developed a thing called an EQ, which is your emotional quotient. And, and what kind of spearheads or... The, the pinnacle of an emotional quotient or a high ranking in your EQ is your ability to delay gratification. Your ability to delay gratification. You and I have been brought up in an education system that will make you fools. The reason that that is is because I believe that a spirit has infiltrated our education system to move away from Christ, move away from teachings of Scripture, move away from wisdom, move away from the Word of God to bring you into a place of foolishness because foolishness destroys people's lives. And so you have been taught that you're just an animal. And therefore, as an animal, you have instincts and, and the greatest thing you can do is give into those instincts and feed those instincts and rather don't deny those instincts you know feed those things you know it was Sigmund Freud 
you know, who, who said, you know, the thing that he hated about Christianity and hated about the church is the church and Christianity teaches people to suppress what he calls vital inclinations. And uh, he wanted to, you know, not just have sex with his wife, but with a whole bunch of other people. And, uh, and then when his wife said, well, if you're doing it, I'm going to do it too. And then, you know, he went into a rage and went psychotic when he came home and she was in bed with somebody else. And, and he ends up being a mental institution and, you know, has, you know, sexually transmitted diseases and and but you know but that's what we teach in college these days we listen to this guy you know have a look at the fruit of somebody's life before you sit under their teaching and under their philosophy just saying and that's why I'm that's why I'm going to listen to Jesus and uh you know, well he died on a cross yeah but he you know rose again on the third day has a t-shirt death been there done that he tried it on, he tried it on and thought, yeah, death, yeah, it just doesn't suit me. And so, you know, rose again on the third day. And, and so, so, you know, so we, we live in a world, we live in a world that, that wants you to just to give in, but wisdom wants to come upon your life. And this month, I believe as you and I engage in, in Proverbs, I'm hoping that there will be an appetite. I'm hoping that there'll be a stirring on the inside of you to hunger after wisdom because wisdom will enable you to, to be able to, to remove emotion and, and the hormones and those things that can cloud you and, and you know, the prospect for gain. And, and you'll sit and you'll hear somebody who tell you you can make 15% a month on this investment. And you just begin to think of all the numbers and you get caught up emotionally you get caught up but wisdom will say something ain't right something you know there's not a peace and there's an absence and so you'll step back and you'll learn to make smart decisions before you lose money you lose life so lose peace God wants you to operate in wisdom God wants you to operate in wisdom the Bible says with wisdom are riches honor and life our riches, honor, and life and and just let while, while we're on that let me just say this let me just say this because you know, we kind of get a little bit of a uh, little bit of heat every every week uh, because people get upset because uh, you know we talk about riches. You know, uh, the Bible says the blessing of the Lord. I think it's Proverbs thirteen twenty two. Blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. Now Proverbs ten twenty two, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow to it. So people get all incensed. Christian, you know, they, they react. And the only reason that you react is because you take a religious mindset. And you marry it with a perverted view that you got of riches from the world. You take a religious mindset with a perverted worldview on riches. Let me give you the Bible definition of poor and the Bible definition of rich. In the Bible, poor or poverty means to have insufficient means to pay your way, to pay your bills to meet your needs you 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 are insufficient you are unable to meet your needs you're unable to put food on the table keep a roof over your house keep the lights on keep the water running that's what the bible calls poverty the bible also talks about riches you'll find rich all the way through the bible now, you and I, when we hear rich, we think of, you know, the Donald Trumps, we think of, you know, excess, we think of limos, we think of, you know, bling, we think of gold, we think of a gold grill, you know, whatever, whatever we think of, we think of cribs, you know, in Malibu, whatever you think of, but you need to understand, let's not, let's not read the Bible with the perversion of the world staining our mind, creating a screen so we miss out on what God has for us. Because the Bible definition of rich means to have an abundancy, 
an all-sufficiency in all things so that you have enough not just to meet your needs, but the needs of others. Rich in the Bible means you have an all-sufficiency and abundance so that you can meet your needs and the needs of others. God's will for you is not for you to be poor so that you are unable to keep the lights on, unable to provide. The Bible says that any man that does not provide for his household is worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. Man, you guys are making it hard tonight, I'm telling you. I'm just telling you the truth. God wants you, oh my gosh. So God wants you to live in a place where, you, where you're blessed, to be a blessing. The Bible says in Galatians 3.13 that Jesus was hung on a tree to redeem us from the curse. As it is written, cursed is any man that hangeth on a tree so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon you and I. What is the blessing of Abraham? In Genesis 12, God blessed Abraham to be a blessing. God blessed Abraham to be a blessing. The blessing wasn't just for Abraham, although absolutely he benefited. As it flows through you, it will do you good, but it's meant to flow through you. It's meant to flow through you. So I just need to say that because, you know, every now and again we get, we get you know, kind of religious, phony people. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't, half the time I don't listen to it because when people have a problem with giving, it's never the, the problem is not with theology. The, the problem is in their own heart. The problem is with their own heart. And I've heard of people say, well, you know, tithing's Old Testament and God's got everything. I'm thinking, man, if God's got everything, why are you struggling with 10%? Why are you resisting 10%? Anyway, so anyway, so let's come with me to Matthew chapter 2. I say all of that just to pick a fight before I start preaching. All right. The title of my message tonight is Wisdom's Draw. Wisdom's Draw. Come with me, Gen- uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. How many people know the story? You know, we sing the we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts, we travel so far. You know, the wise men, the wise men from the east. But it's a beautiful story. And I really felt, you know, God wanted to come in and unpackage it a little bit tonight because they, they were wise men. They were wise men from the Orient who 
studied the, the constellations and they could tell because, I don't have time to go into it, but the 12 constellations, all of them actually preached the gospel. Preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't have time. Don't ask me. And so anyway, and so, so they, they saw his star. They saw, they saw the signs of the times that the Messiah was to be born, that they calculated this. In Genesis 1, uh, God put the stars in the heavens for times and seasons for mankind. And so, so they came searching for Jesus. Problem, problem. That they left obeying God. They left following God to ask for directions. They came to Herod. They came to man saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Herod was the king. He's obviously troubled because they, they thought we'd find him in the palace. They just thought if he's the king, he's going to be in a palace. But when they come to the palace, there is a man in the palace who likes the palace. He likes the palace lifestyle. He likes all the trapping. He likes having servants. He likes having his meals delivered to him. He just, he likes the palace. He don't want to give up the palace to some. And these guys travel for about three and a half years from the East Orient to come and find this. So he's thinking this this person who was born is, is a big shot. Oh my gosh, you know, the stars, the universe have predicted a Messiah to be born. King of the Jews is coming. That is a threat to me. Because of the wise men taking their eyes off God and listening to the counsel of man, the next verses talk about the slaughter of children, the slaughter of the innocents. Every male child under three years of age was slaughtered, was killed. And the Bible says there was such weeping, such travailing in Jerusalem like there has never been before Rachel weeping for her children because they were no more all because these these men took their eyes off God can I just tell you wisdom is keeping your eyes on God wisdom is keeping your eyes on God now let me just tell you the spirit of wisdom resides in the house of God the queen of Sheba came from the ends of the earth to seek out Solomon because the queen of Sheba, when she came to Solomon, she saw wisdom in action. Jesus is wisdom personified. And Jesus says, I will build my church. You're the smartest people. In fact, let me just say that you're the wisest people in San Diego because you're sitting here listening to the word of God. You cannot get wisdom from the library. You can get knowledge from the library. You can get these books in the library, but don't ever confuse knowledge for wisdom. You can't get wisdom in the bars. When we face trials, when we face difficulties, we go down to the bar. And, and we just kind of, we think, you know, people just say, hey, you know, Jack's your best friend. You've got just one friend. His name's Jim Beam. Captain Morgan. You know, whatever. But I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, when you go to the bar, you will find that the people in the bar, though they are older, have not got any more maturity than we did in preschool. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but let me, let me just kind of let me just kind of give you some similes here. When I when I go when I when when my kids when Zoe was in preschool, I would I would have to pick her up. Every time I would go to pick her up, it was very similar to what happens when you go to a bar late at night, especially after midnight. Whenever, you go, whenever I go to pick up Zoe or any of our kids that went to preschool, there's always someone screaming. There's always someone running around with their pants off. If you go into the bathroom in a bar, it's obvious not everyone's potty trained. There's always somebody crying. 
She was my best friend. But not anymore. There's always a fight. He was standing where I wanted to stand. So I punched him in the face. More juice. It's like, it's, but it's amazing how many people hang out at bars hoping to get the, the answers. You ain't going to get your answers to your problems in bars. You get it in the Word of God. You get it in the house of God. So let me give you four quick things that we learned from these guys. The first thing is I believe that wisdom seeks. Wisdom seeks. Whether you realize or not, wisdom is actually looking for answers. And Jesus is the answer. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I remember when uh, Pastor Brian Houston's dad, Frank Houston, got into an argument one time with an atheist. And, and he said to him, you're a fool. And the guy says, what did you call me? You just called me a fool. And Pastor Frank Houston said, oh, no, I didn't. He says, I heard you. He says, no, I didn't call you a fool. You're a fool. He said, you just did it again. He said, no, I didn't call you a fool. You, I just heard you. He called me a fool. And Frank, Pastor Frank says, no, I didn't call you a fool. The Bible, God calls you a fool. Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The pathway towards foolishness is to deny God. In Psalm 10, verse 13, it says, why does the wicked renounce God? Because they say, you have said in your heart, he will not require an account. Living without any accountability is the pathway towards foolishness. Can I tell you that wisdom is seeking. Uh, Paul Gauguin, who was the, the famous French postmodern artist in 1897, painted this phenomenal picture of the three questions. Who are we? Where have we come from? And where are we going? The three eternal questions. These are the questions that, that mankind wants to know. Who am I? Where have I come from? And where am I going? If you look at the wisdom of the world, the world will t try and tell you that you, you're an accident. You are a monkey that got lucky. That you came from nothing and you're going nowhere. And really there's no purpose for you living here right now. And we wonder why... Depression is an epidemic. We wonder why people are opting out. We wonder why people are behaving hedonistically. We wonder why people are not showing any restraint, why people are giving in to, to their carnal and base desires because what does Psalm 10 verse 13 say? The wicked renounces God because he has said in his heart, you will not require an account because we're not living with any sense of eternity. We're not living with any sense of destiny. We're not living with any sense of justice. We're not living with any sense of purpose. Can I tell you, wisdom seeks for truth. Wisdom seeks for knowledge. Wisdom, wisdom is seeking. Can, can, I, can I just encourage you, keep seeking out Jesus Christ. I found Jesus, or rather he found me 29 years ago, but I've got to tell Every day I like to get up and I like to just follow Jesus. I like to just find Jesus. I open the Word of God so I might discover something about Jesus. In one million years time, neither you nor me will have exhausted Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll have found out everything about God. Neither one of you and I will put God in a box where we say, Oh God, 
scallywag. Not one of us will have God in a box. Every single one of us in a billion years time will still be blown away because God is infinite and eternal. We'll still be blown away by His magnificence, by His awesomeness. Wisdom is seeking. And whether you realize or not, people are looking. And the devil has all kinds of sideshow attraction. I remember one time I was flying from uh, Auckland, New Zealand back to Sydney. And there was a young lady sitting on the plane next to me, and she had kind of these kind of cool dreadlocks. And, and I just thought, you know, great little conversation. She's got cool dreadlocks. And I said, hey, you know, is Sydney your home or is Auckland your home? You know, which one's your final destination? She goes, well, actually, I'm going to India. I said, India? What are you doing in India? She goes, I'm going there to find myself. I said, you what? She goes, I'm going to India to find myself. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can save you an airfare. You're right here. 22F, right here, I found you. But we live in a generation trying to find themselves. No, 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 can I just tell you, you want to find Jesus. You want to find truth. You want to find life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. When Jesus comes into your life, He will unlock purpose. He will unlock identity. He will unlock destiny. He'll begin to reveal to you why you're here, where you came from and where you're going. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life. Now, some people may have told you, well, you know, He couldn't have a plan for me. I was an accident. I was an accident. You know, I wasn't meant to be here. Can I tell you, there are no accidents with God. God knew you were coming. He had nine months to prepare. This doesn't happen. Yep. God's like, hey, Gabriel, what was that? Uh, uh, it was a baby born. Did we know that one was coming? It was an accident. Oh, my self. What? What? Have we got a purpose for it? You know, no, no, no. God knows you're coming. He knew you were going to be here. And He has a plan that makes part of His grand design. Don't ever think you stump God. Don't ever think that you, God's, you know, pacing up and down going, oh, I don't know what to do. What do you, what do you want me to do? I can't. No, no, God, God has an awesome plan and you're an integral part of it. That's why He leads you to the house of God. In the house of God, He begins to equip you. He gets you connected. Once you get connected, He gets you into a growth pattern where you learn to become a self-feeder, where you learn to, you know, have devotions and read the Word of God and learn how to pray, learn how to connect, learn how to resist the devil. Then once that starts happening, you start serving. Why do you serve? Because serving is greatness in the kingdom. Jesus said, well, amongst you wants to be great, let him become least and the servant of all. Servanthood is the, is the pathway to greatness in the kingdom of God. So, so you begin to serve. From serving, you develop and you become a leader. And all of a sudden, you find the power of God resting on your life and destinies unlocked. Nations turned upside down because you came into the house of God. You let God unlock you. You let wisdom begin to reveal to you not just who you are, but where you came from and where you're going. And you'll find the awesome story of God woven through the pages of your life. Can somebody say amen? So the first thing I like about these, these wise men is they were seeking. They were seeking Jesus. Second thing that I like about them is that wisdom Wisdom journeys. Wisdom journeys. Everyone say journey. See, the problem with, with you and I, the, the difference between you and I and God is you and I, you and I, our, our language is destination. We, we speak with destination. We, you know, we say, I'm going to start a business. I'm, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to be a champion. I'm gonna, and so we speak with destination. We speak with the end in mind. But God, when He speaks, He speaks in process. God always speaks in process. 
He gives Joseph a vision of his future. But the vision of his future is very, very different to what, Josh, to, to what uh, Joseph thinks. Joseph thinks, oh my gosh, there's going to be a coronation. There's going to be a recognition of my awesomeness. The sun, moon, and stars are going to bow down. This is awesome. I'm going to be on Oprah sharing my story. And Oprah, it's so amazing. Like I got up one morning and the sun, moon, and stars were bowing. And there were chariots out there saying, you're the one. You're the chosen. Get out of here. But I had the, you know, the Technicolor dream coat on. I said, well, I can't deny. And so, you know, but no, that's not the path. He gets beaten by his brothers, thrown into a pit. Should we kill him? Let's debate. Let's, uh, yeah, let's kill him. Let's kill the little, little rascal. And the brothers, and Reuben goes, we can't kill him. He's our brother. Let's sell him. So they sold him. And, and you know, he gets sold to the Ishmaelites and gets taken down to Egypt, sold, you know, on the, on the thing to, to, you know, Potiphar. Potiphar's the chief executioner. So now he's a slave in Potiphar's house. And, and you, know, you know, his wife, you know, Potiphar's wife, you know, she's, you know, Joey. <laughs> Joey, it's just been a Victoria's Secret. And uh, he's like, I'm not looking at you, you psycho woman. And she's like, Joey, come lie with me. And he's like, it's the middle of the day. I'm not tired. And, she, and she's, you know, she's out there. She's trying all the moves. She's an Egyptian. She's coming out. Make me your Aphrodite. Make me your one and only. But don't make me your enemy. Your enemy. So you want to play with magic. Boy, you should know what you're falling for. Baby, do you dare to do this? Because I'm coming at you like a dark horse. Are you ready for, ready for a perfect storm, perfect storm? Because once you're mine, once you're mine, there's no going back. Chin, 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 chin. She's trying all the moves on Joey, but he ain't ever none of it. Because he says, girl, I ain't going to be yours. There ain't no going back. So he, he ends up in jail, accused of rape that he never did. He's in a prison. Why? Because God is processing him. See, these guys for three and a half years, they did not give up. For three and a half years, they're following a star. For three and a half years, they're following. Can I just tell you, God has not forgotten you. You may have seen, you may have seen your destiny. You may have seen Jesus. You may have encountered Jesus and God spoke to you and said, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a leader. You're going to have a great marriage. You're going to have a great family. You're going to have children. You're going to, God may have spoke to you, but, it, but God, when he speaks, we, we think destination, but God thinks process. He says to Adam, he says, Adam, see all the trees? You can eat off all the trees of the garden. In fact, every single tree has seed within itself to you. It shall be for food. Adam just sees oranges. Adam just sees apples. But God sees process. He says inside of all of those is seed. The seed, when it's planted, will grow another tree just like this one with more fruit on it to you. God is speaking in process. Whether you realize or not, you right now you are being processed by God. God is taking you through a process. King 
King David said it this way, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Because he understands that the valley times is where God is processing you. Do you know what grows in the valley? Fruit. Fruit grows in the valley. Why? Because the water runs down. It is the most fertile. It is difficult. It is dark. It is isolating. It is lonely. But it is where the fruit grows. God is sometimes leading you down into the valley because He's processing you to make you more fruitful. Wisdom understands it's a journey. It's a pathway. God is processing me. I've got a dream in my heart. I've got a destination in mind, but I haven't got there yet. I haven't made it yet. Things look like they've gone into reverse. I've been accused of crimes I did not commit. I'm in a prison. I want to give up. Others see the bars, but I look through and I see the stars and I'm reminded of the dream. I know there's a dream. I know there's a day coming. God is processing you. Come on, just take five seconds and give God a great shout. Come on, thank God that He's processing you. That He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He's processing you. He's processing you. The devil's a liar. The devil tells you because you ain't perfect, you're disqualified. Just say, shut up, devil. I'm still being processed. I'm still being processed. God hasn't finished with me. If God was looking for a perfect vessel, He found it 2,000 years ago and He says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And since that time, He put the same Spirit that was in Jesus in you and me so that we would daily be conformed. He was processing us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Don't, don't you give up on you. God hasn't given up on you. I said, don't you give up on you. God has not given up on you. God, till the, listen, Philippians, uh, Philippians 1 verse 6 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. This is a word for somebody. Somebody needs to hear this. God is not like a man. We start projects and then halfway through get bored and move on to something else. Not God. Whatever God starts, He finishes. The devil's a great disqualifier. He wants you to believe because you're still battling with that sin, because you're still tripped up in that old habit, because you're still struggling with this issue. God's done with you. He's wiped His hands and He's moved on to more fertile soil. He's moved on to somebody else. That is not God. That is not a spirit of faithfulness. God does not know how to be unfaithful. I, I said, God does not know. It is completely foreign for God to be unfaithful. What faithfulness is, is even if my wife is not affectionate, I remain affectionate. Even if my wife moves away from me, I move towards her because I've made a covenant and my devotion to her goes beyond what is reciprocated, goes beyond how I feel. It goes beyond a covenant that I made. There is no greater covenant maker and covenant keeper than the Lord your God. He has made a covenant with you, sealed in His own blood, carved out with scars in His wrists, feet and side to say I've made a covenant with you I will never leave you nor forsake you you're still a work in process don't you give up on him because he hasn't given up on you he's processing you say I'm on a journey come on say I'm on a journey I need to apologize I continually ruin messages I am out of time and I've got two points left oh my lord what is wrong with me oh Jesus help me
All right, he'll, he'll give me just two more minutes. Two more minutes. Two, four, six, eight, ten. More than enough. All right, really quickly. So, so God, takes, God takes the children of Israel out of Egypt. And He's taking them to the promised land. And all He told them about was the promised land. So He speaks our language. He speaks destination. But to get them from here to there, He's got to take them through a wilderness. He's got to take them through a desert because He's processing them. The reason He's doing that is because in Egypt for 400 years, they were slaves. You can't take a slave and put him into a land and expect him to exercise dominion because he doesn't understand dominion. He only understands servitude. So God has, to, God, God, has to, God has to get the old out of you because you can't put new wine into an old wineskin. So you have to allow God to change processes about changing the wineskin. Oh, you're not hearing me. A caterpillar goes into a cocoon to come out a butterfly. It's what God does. He, he takes you as you were, but He makes you something you've never been before, never seen before. 2 Corinthians 5.17, in Christ, you and I are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become. God is taking him, God is taking him from slave into learning how to be princes with God. Do you know they called themselves the sons of Israel? They called themselves the Israelites. The name Israel means prince with God. A prince with God. But they had been so conditioned by 400 years of slavery that it was just a term. They'd lost the power of the identity. And so God was taking them through a wilderness. God was taking them through a journey till their, till their, their self-esteem, till their self-image lined up with their confession. They were born to be princes with God. They were, they were discovered, they were, they were taken out of Jacob, out of Jacob to be Israel, the sons and daughters of Israel to become a nation, a nation that is a prince with God, but they were behaving like slaves. He has to take them through, he has to take them through a wilderness to get the slave out and put the prince in. He's processing you. He's processing you. Listen, you, you, you're not a slave to what you used to be, be a slave to. You're not a slave to your old addiction. You're not a slave to your old habits. You're not a slave to your old mindset. That's not you anymore. God has redeemed you. He has saved you. He has healed you. He has delivered you. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed your sin from you, He has wiped out your iniquities. He has blotted out your transgression. He has put His blood on you and washed you whiter than snow. He sat down with you and I and reasoned together. And though your sins are as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. He has forgotten. He remembers your sin. No more. But we still come back because we listen to the devil's voice more than we listen to God's voice. And we come back and we say, no, I'm a slave. I'm a slave. And God's like, I've got promises for you to take. I've got territory for you to gain. I've got a possession for you to inherit. I've got a destiny for you to fulfill. But I need you to understand you are a prince with me. You are not what you struggle with. You are what I have made you. Number three is wisdom worships. Man, I wish I had time to preach this, but let me just say this, that what you bow down to determines what you can stand up to. The Bible says when the wise men came in, first thing, first thing they do is they bow in worship to Jesus. Worship is not popular today. Worship is seen as a weakness. I remember, you know, somebody joined our church and beautiful man. And he says, well, you know, I just want you to know my, my wife's into all that emotional stuff. I said, oh, well, what emotion? You know, the lifting of the hands. And, <laughs> and 
And I said, oh, that's not emotion, it's called spiritual. Whether you realize or not, you have a spirit. See, what, what, what you bow down to determines what you can stand up for, what you can stand up to. Listen, how many people have ever heard that God is jealous? The reason that God is jealous is because He alone knows the character of every other God. And He is jealous because He doesn't want you to worship another God. Just like I would be jealous of, of some other man wanting to, to court my wife or be married to my wife. Because I love her so much, I want to be the one that treat. I know because of the love that I have in my heart, I want to treat her like a princess. I want to bless her. I want to do her good. When God looks at you, He is jealous over you because He knows that there's no other God in the universe. There's no other God in the world that would love you like He loves you, who would bless you like He blesses you, who would forgive you like He forgives you, who would care for you like He cares for you, who would watch over you like He watches over you, who would go to a cross, to a crucifixion, be stripped naked and beaten and have the beard plucked from His face, a crown of thorns rammed into His head, and nails piercing through his wrist one nail through his feet and hung on a cross in shame and humility because of how much he loves you he knows there's no other God in the universe and so he, he God is jealous over you don't give your worship to any other God no other God deserves it no other God is worthy but can I just tell you when you become a worshiper when you become a worshiper David before he was a giant slaying warrior was a harp playing worshiper he was worshiping out in the field with the sheep and then he took down Goliath. The devil doesn't want you to be a worshipper because he knows that worshippers become warriors. When you are a worshipper, when you become a worshipper, you'll find that you get a glimpse of God. Worship is how we see God. When you truly get lost in worship, you'll just be smitten by the awesomeness, by the magnificence, by the brilliance, by the majesty, by the glory, by the omnipotence of the almighty God. And something will rise up on the inside where you look at your Goliath, you look at that cancer, you look at that dead, and you'll say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he dared defy the armies of the living God? My God is bigger than anything I'm faith. You'll begin to see that your God is bigger, that He's larger, that He's greater. Can I just tell you, worship, wisdom worships. Lose yourself. Worship's not what we do to get to the preaching. My God, worship. I, listen, I need worship. I need to worship because I need to see Him. If I just see Him, I only need to see Him for a moment. A woman with 12 years of bleeding, 12 years of hemorrhaging, she only needed just one, just one split second just to touch the hem of His garment, just for, just for a split moment in time, a, a nanosecond. She touches and power goes into her body and completely heals her. I only need just one glimpse. I just need one touch. I'm hungry for a touch of God. I'm hungry just to, just to get, press through the crowd, press through all the noise, all the distractions, all the busyness of life and the demands and the emails and, and Facebooks and Twitters and Insta and all of those things to put all those things aside just for one encounter just for one touch with Jesus to have his virtue flow into me again renew my mind again renew my soul again renew my spirit refresh me again so that the earth with all its shimmer and with all its glam with all its neon signs begins to lose flavor once again where all I seek after is him where all I care about is pleasing him no longer pleasing myself worship wisdom worships the last one number four is wisdom opens up her treasures. 
The Bible says when they had worshipped, they came and they opened up their treasures and they presented gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. It's got to flow from you for it to flow to you. Now watch this. As, as I finish. In Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth and the earth is formless and void. The Bible says this, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The earth was formless and void. Darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now we know that God is light. God, God is light. God is light. Everything is dark, but God is light. The Spirit of God, interesting, He's hovering over the face of the waters. Why is He hovering over the face of the waters? Because He can see His reflection. Because God created the universe to reflect His glory. So the waters, when He hovered over the waters, the waters were reflecting His light and His glory. If He was hovering over the land, over the ground, over the dirt, the dirt has no reflection. So what does God do? The Bible says that God goes into the dirt, into the ground, and He forms the man. The Hebrew word for ground in the Bible is the word Adama. And from the ground, He pulls Adam out of Adama. He pulls Adam out of Adama. And He breathes into Adam's nostrils the breath of life and Adam becomes a living being. So now both the water and the land reflect His image and His glory. God has always been looking for reciprocation. God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. These wise men, they travel from the east three and a half years. They get to where Jesus is. They bow down in worship. But when they see God has given His very, very best, when they see this little child that God has given, they reciprocate. They see God you have from heaven opened up your treasures and given your very best. Wait, we open up our treasures and we bring to you our very best. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. Don't give, don't, don't give God your leftovers. Don't, don't, don't give God what you have left at the end. Give God your first. Give God your, your best.